KPFT Houston. KPFT 90.1. This is the New Capital Show with special guest host Mike Koenig. Stay tuned. Honig. Mike Honig. Stay tuned. Welcome to New Capital. My name is Mike Honig. I'm sitting in today for Leo Gold, who managed to wangle the day off. Our phone number here is 713-526-5738 or 713-526-KPFT. And since this isn't my usual gig, I'm hoping some of you out there will call and help me out with it. Um, One of the topics that I thought I'd bring up, since this is kind of a more or less economically based show, is LIBOR. I'm betting that a few of you out there don't know what LIBOR is. It's not a typo for labor, and it's coming soon to a country near you. So here's the question. What is LIBOR? Is it A, a new supervillain? B, an anime humanoid robot from the 1960s? C, the London Interbank Offered Rate? Or D, none of the above? I'm going to give you a moment to think about that. In the meantime, let me first tell you that in uh, the way of sort of a public service thing, I've always been a big space advocate. I, I believe that uh, the future is out there for us. And at Leisure Learning, there is going to be a lecture given 
about uh, the possibility of collecting and transmitting solar energy from the moon to the Earth. It's being given by Dr. David Criswell, and it's going to be a two-hour presentation on Monday, July 30th, so this coming Monday. You can get some more information by calling 713-529-4414, or you can look it up on LLU.com, for Leisure Learning University, LLU.com. And... uh, They'll be happy for you to inquire about what that is and how you can participate in it. So, to get back to our snap quiz, LIBOR, it is C, the London Interbank Offered Rate. And according to Wikipedia, it is the average interest rate estimated by leading banks in London that would be charged if they were borrowing from other banks. It is also a primary benchmark along with what's called the Eurobor. I think you can figure out what that is based on the LIBOR for short-term interest rates around the world. Uh, LIBOR rates are calculated for 10 different currencies and 15 borrowing periods, um, and it is not just for the U.K. So it is one of those benchmarks that is used internationally to determine interest rates. Um, it affects how much you pay for a car loan, how much you're paying on your credit card, how much you pay for your mortgage, and... There is now a scandal brewing that started in uh, London in, I think it was June, and uh, it affected Barclays Bank, and they've already paid uh, a settlement on that. And uh, apparently it's, it's a real scandal because it goes to the central issue of whether you can trust banks to regulate themselves. Now, some of us might consider that a straight man line. But that is the question. Can you trust banks to regulate themselves? By manipulating this interest rate, apparently what banks were doing was hiding the increasing riskiness of interbank loans and loans to big borrowers, big corporate and uh, and national borrowers. And by doing that, they avoided regulation. Of course, some people benefited by paying lower interest rates. But uh, they benefited by avoiding further regulation, further investigation into their practices, uh, avoided the requirement to keep extra capital on hand against greater risk. So this is becoming a big deal. And apparently American banks, U.S. banks are going to start getting potentially investigated in relation to this. Um, I will remind you, if any of you want to call and contribute or help me out on anything that I might be either leaving out or misinforming, the phone number here is 713-526-5738, 713-526-KPFT. Um, another topic that I thought I might mention, uh, there was apparently a piece on um, Fox and Friends. I have often wondered what friends they have, but Fox and Friends... Um, apparently, the Obama administration has set aside 285,000 acres in six southwestern states for solar development. And apparently, Fox and Friends finds that objectionable. They feel that the 74 million acres of federal land and, and offshore uh, territory that has already been leased to oil and gas companies is not enough. They want that 285,000 acres as well. Now, when I was a kid... And when somebody had 99.5% of, say, an ice cream container, and I wanted my one little tiny spoonful, when that person said, I want your spoonful too, I think the functional word for that was greed. So we're talking about 99.5% of all the land for oil and gas, 0.5% of land set aside for development of solar energy, renewable energy. You may agree with solar, you may disagree with solar, you may think it's economical, the time has come, the time is not yet. But, I mean, geez, we're talking a half of 1% to try to get the ball rolling. And, you know, research and development, what are we going to do without research and development? So I I thought that that was kind of amusing. Um, Another issue, of course, is, again, gun control control them, not control them, regulate them? If so, how much? Um, When we have a shooting like we did in Aurora, Colorado, these issues come to the fore. Weirdly, you have people saying right after it happens, now is not the time to discuss it. And then, of course, a year later, no one is discussing it. So it's never time to discuss it, and then it's never important to discuss. Um, In my own tiny little way, I just thought I would discuss it. Um... 
You know, there are two versions of the Second Amendment. There's the Second Amendment as was written by uh, a couple of the founders. And then there's the Second Amendment as it was actually passed by Congress. And the differences are not big. Um, there's some upper lowercase differences. There are some punctuational differences. Uh, if there are any lawyers out there, um, they are aware that sometimes an entire contract case will hinge on where a comma is. Now, one of the things that I'm looking at on the version that was passed by Congress, well, let's see, let's the purpose, the one that was passed by the states that was ratified by the states. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I was watching Lawrence O'Donnell the other night, and uh, in the course of his talking about this story, you know, he came up with a very interesting notion. You have a constitutional guarantee that your right to own guns shall not be infringed. Now, we're not going to talk about the fact that when the Constitution was written, in order to fire four shots without reloading, you had to carry four pistols. A little different now. They could not have foreseen that you can get off 70 rounds in 70 seconds and the weapon isn't even on full automatic. Um, but what about ammunition? Is the right to bear arms, which is constitutionally protected, the same as the right to buy and own any kind of ammunition in any quantity at any time? by any person. That's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know what the legal implications or the constitutional law implications of that. If anybody out there has any thoughts or ideas on it, I would love to hear it. Uh, and I will again remind you, the phone number is 713-526-5738, 713-526-KPFT. Um, the shooter in Aurora apparently purchased i mean this is i guess the the big meme that comes out of the shooting in terms of weaponry 6000 rounds of ammunition 6000 rounds of ammunition in other words this guy had enough bullets to kill as many people as died in the world trade center on september 11th 2001 let's think about that he had enough bullets to kill everybody in that in those two trade towers with his one weapon. Of course, it would take him some time, but, I mean, 6,000 rounds of ammunition. If that were pennies, that would be $60. If that was a buck, that would be a year's pay. 6,000, well, of course, it would be maybe a couple of months' pay, but 6,000 rounds of ammunition. Okay, should people be able to order an unlimited number of hollow points, an, unlim an unlimited number of soft points, uh, an unlimited number of, I think they're called um, friable, is it friable bullets, which disintegrate on contact so there's no pass-through. I think that the uh, the air marshals use those, so if they have to shoot somebody on a plane, it doesn't penetrate the fuselage. Um, I mean, where does it stop? 50-millimeter rounds, 75-millimeter rounds, small shells, hand grenades. What is the right to bear arms? Um Okay, to change the topic again, another area that I have uh, occasionally thought about, we talk about high-speed rail. There are uh, a lot of reasons to consider trains. I think one of the most interesting things about train travel, train freight travel, is according to even reasonably conservative estimates, you can ship a ton of material for the equivalent of 435 miles per gallon. Now, if you have a decent-sized vehicle, I drive a minivan, so I do my share of pollution. And uh, I get on the highway, if I keep it around 55, I can get 25 miles per gallon on that vehicle. That's a two-ton vehicle. Now, I could go on, I, if I could transport that car on a train for those same, for that same 25 miles, it would be literally a sip. For a gallon of gasoline, I could move that car 217 miles instead of 25. So let's talk about auto trains and Americans, or let's talk about high-speed trains. If you've ever checked the Amtrak schedule, it's a very, very tough schedule. I know that they have commuter trains that run between Boston and Washington, D.C. Um, 
and those run pretty frequently and the price is pretty reasonable. Um, but really, if you want to go anywhere else, if you can get a train once a week, you're kind of lucky. We're going to come back to that thought in just a second, but it is time for us to take our break. Hey, let me give you a little traffic update. There's some high water on Beltway 8 North, westbound at I-45 North. And if you're headed north on 45 North, expect delays of 40 miles an hour into the Beltway. Also, there's some construction on 610 North Loop, westbound at West T.C. Jester. And if you are headed either direction on I, uh, 610 West, expect delays between 290 and 59 of 40 miles an hour as well. There's some construction at 610 East Loop, westbound, southbound at Clinton Drive and Lawndale. And if you are headed um, southbound on the 610 East Loop, expect delays of 30 miles an hour. You're listening to KPFT 90.1. Stay tuned. We're back. My name is Mike Honig. I'm sitting in for Leo Gold, and you're listening to the New Capital Show. Um, we have a caller on the line, and by the way, the call-in number is 713-526-5738. Lane, you're on the air. Uh, what would you like to talk about? Uh, well, guns have been in the news a lot lately. A lot of people talking about uh, restricting people's access to guns and uh, I'm not a gun person, you know, I don't keep guns or anything, but uh, I think that a lot of comments that you hear, especially in the mainstream media, uh, it's talking like the Second Amendment is about people going hunting, you know, to protect uh, your houses and just to be able to go hunting, but really, it's about not trusting the government, you know, it's about uh, being able to stand up to the government if the government stops, you know, or starts, you know, becoming completely horrible, you know, like like it was and like it often is. And, um, you know, like when we were fighting the British, they people needed guns. So they, you know, saw the need to put in the Constitution uh, the access to the population for guns. You know, and it's for all the above. It is for home safety. It's for hunting because, you know, that was food back in the day. And But it was also in case the government started getting crappy. I mean, all the founding fathers figured we would need a revolution about every 20 years just to keep things straight. Actually, I don't think that was all uh, the founding fathers. I think Thomas Jefferson is famous for a quote to that effect, but I don't think it was a universal opinion among them. Right. Well, right. They didn't have any universal opinions among them. That's true. Um, They disagreed, and they were pretty much, most for the most part, uh, oligarchic. You know, they were the the wealthiest folks uh, back in the day. I guess there was a few that were, weren't were quite as wealthy, but, um, uh, you know, this country was started by oligarchs for oligarchs, and, you know, it's remained such. It's not really a people's government, and so you can't really compare us to more socialist democracies in Europe where they get pretty, by pretty well without the population having guns, but it's a mixed bag over there, too. By law, I think in Switzerland, everybody has to keep a military-grade weapon in their house, you know, a rifle, an assault rifle. And you know what? That kind of brings us to the point of a well-regulated militia. Um, I mean, right. Exactly. Now, I, I am not a historical expert, but what I believe is so is until this century or until the 20th century, standing armies were very unusual. Normally, you had a corps of professional soldiers, and if you had a war, you would call up your civilians, and they would bring their own horses and their own clothes and their own food and their own ammo and their own guns. And the idea, partly, of having a weapon at home is sort of along the lines of what you're talking about with the Swiss, that they can build an army quickly for national defense. Uh Yeah. Now, as far as overthrowing the government... Um, in spite of what Thomas Jefferson said, 
I don't think that they really thought a lot, although it was in the back of their minds, I have no doubt. But I don't think they thought a lot about in the event that we don't like this government, everybody's supposed to come out of their houses, join forces and overthrow the government. That's why in the Constitution, there are various means for modifying or abolishing the government. We had one constitutional convention after the Articles of Confederation failed. We have a means by which the states can request a constitutional convention without uh, permission of Congress. Congress itself can call a constitutional convention. If we wanted to become a parliamentary democracy instead of a presidential democracy, there are constitutional means to accomplish that. Um, Yeah, but who's in control of the politics here? I mean, it's the, the people with the most money. I mean, you have to look at things through a class analysis. And if you start... Uh, you know, having classes of people that have access to heavy weapons and other classes that don't, then you have even more of a class divide than we already have. Remember what I said earlier in the show, which is that when the Second Amendment was written, to fire four shots without reloading required four guns. They never envisioned anything like automatic weapons. Machine guns weren't even really invented for practical use in warfare until the American Civil War. We're talking almost 100 years after they wrote this thing. And it says very clearly, and I realize the courts have have played with this a lot in terms of judicial interpretation, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. It doesn't say individuals having the power to overthrow a a tyrannical government because they already provided for that in the Constitution. A regulated militia... A a tyrannical government is not going to be gone by the Constitution. And so, really... Ultimately, you have to have uh, you, you have to look at the long game. You know when the Constitution might not be in play anymore, and like in you know we see it going on all over the world, particularly in the Arab world, where uh, you know governments go bad. And you know if you look at the long view of history, that's most likely what's happened. And if you look at just democracies that have existed, you know the couple of hundred or so democracies. You know, which is, you know, tiny percentage of the governments of the world, you know, over time. Uh, just looking at the democracies, you know, most of them, over 90% of them, uh, failed. They became dictatorships. Well, you can and argue so that most monarchies and dictatorships ultimately fail as well. I mean, it was an invention and things break. Um. I I think, and, you know, I understand that there are two sides to every argument, pretty much. And I kind of get where you're coming from, even though I don't necessarily agree with you. But think about this. Um, If you want to see a country where there is complete freedom to own weapons, hey, there's Somalia. Somalia is what it looks like when everybody can carry a gun. Everybody can carry an AK-47. Everybody can carry can can mount an air-cooled 50 caliber machine gun on their Jeep. You get to a point. You get to a point. Wait a minute. You get to a point where you have to own a gun to protect yourself from all the people that own guns. Whereas if fewer people own guns, fewer people would feel the need to protect themselves with guns. Okay. Well, I mean. Uh... You know, I'm not arguing that we should have a militaristic society or a completely militarized society. So where's the boundary? All I'm saying is that if you have some one group of people that has access to heavy weapons and another group that doesn't, you have uh, disequilibrium. I'd be happy if there was, was no, were no guns. You know, and no, I mean, for any kind of military guns, including with the military. But. Uh, uh, and I'm not advocating uh, for anything in particular. I'm just saying that, you know, we need to be, don't trust the government. Don't trust any your next-door neighbor, you know, that has guns. How would you feel now, if I had a half a dozen 75-millimeter howitzers parked in my front yard? Would that make you feel secure? No, what I'm saying is it'd be better if nobody had guns. But let's assume that that isn't possible. Now, let's, I think that... Let, wait, wait a second. I, I, I mean... There are a lot of things I would love to see in this world, and then there are things that, in spite of my preferences, I recognize are limited by reality. There are going to be guns. So you're arguing for militarism on KPFT? No, I am arguing for 
if people are going to own, <laughs> that is kind of funny when you put it that way. Uh, what I am arguing for is that if you're going to have a Second Amendment that says a well-regulated militia, which is essentially what amounts to a National Guard, it should be a well-regulated militia. You shouldn't have a guy ordering 6,000 rounds of ammunition for an AR-16 and a couple of Glocks with uh, big magazines, 100-round magazines, with body armor, I mean, do you want to have warlords in this country? That's ultimately the question. Do you want to have a situation where somebody can buy enough ammunition to arm a private army like they do in Somalia we, or it, Lebanon? We already do. It's happening all around you. Where? We have a public army. We have private armies. There's Blackwater. That's I a mean, bad thing. Uh, Dick Cheney had Blackwater guards uh, guarding his office when somebody was trying to come and serve a subpoena on him to get uh, to get him to testify and his blackwater people threw him out you know offer you know officers of the government and know? if you're saying so, that blackwater uh, is a bad that. thing you know, i totally agree bad. with you we've already got it if black if you're saying blackwater is a bad thing i totally agree with you lane i appreciate your calling in i appreciate your being willing to argue with me a little bit and the time you've spent thanks uh, for bringing it up Good yeah. luck on the rest of the show there. Thank you so much. Yeah, Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, I've got Earl on the line. Earl, how are you doing today? Hi. Uh, what is it, Mike? Yes, sir, you're on the air yeah. with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I've got Jack Anderson's uh, Inside the NRA Armed and Dangerous here, and he explains the Second Amendment that the trouble was uh, Section 10 of Article 1 of the Constitution. Let me quote that. Okay. This no is where state, I start to get in trouble. Yeah. No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops, in, you know, emphasized, or ships of war, again, emphasized, in time of peace, emphasized, enter into any agreement or combat with another state or with another foreign power or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. This meant that the states could not keep militia, armed militias. They, you know, it, it, it raised the point. They already had armed militias, and they needed some provision in the um, Bill of Rights to allow them to keep armed militias. Well, the problem, I think, was that uh, under the Articles of Confederacy, essentially all the different states were acting like countries, and the central government was extremely weak. They were even minting their own currencies and printing their own currencies. Um, so they're talking, and again, I'm not a constitutional scholar, but you're talking here about a well-regulated militia. And by the way, I'm going to interrupt here myself. Phone number 713-526-5738. We are taking phone calls. Um, but it says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. So you're talking about a militia, which is well-regulated, which obviously operates under color of authority. We know that in the 18th century Standing armies were unusual, except by great empires. Normally, you kind of came as you were. You brought your horse, your food, your gun, your powder, your your uh, your musket balls, and you kind of went to war, and that's how it worked. That's how they were able to develop a large army in a short time. So I'm not sure. I just don't see how you can justify having people with these incredibly powerful weapons, which were so far beyond anything the founders visualized as technologically possible in their wildest dreams, so that you can have a guy pump off 70 rounds in 70 seconds. Yeah, well, well Anderson uh, goes into that. He says that actually all of the precedents, legal precedents, are that Congress can uh, infringe the right to bear arms. In fact, the... Uh, American Bar Association uh, issued a ruling relates to a well-regulated militia and that there are no federal constitutional decisions which preclude regulation of firearms in private hands. What do you think of the notion if you can't regulate weaponry under the Second Amendment regulating ammunition? Well, that's, uh, I mean, you can't regulate weaponry. You know, there, there's, there are laws against uh, owning, owning fully automatic machine guns. Aren't there? Um, there are, but there also used to be laws against assault weapons, and that yeah, expired. Yeah, well, they were allowed to lapse. They weren't overturned. They were allowed to lapse. Precisely. Precisely. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, apparently, yeah, yeah they, uh, you know, there are, there are laws against cop-killing bullets and like that, you know. It, it's, 
it's basically they're just taking the Second Amendment and using it for their own designs, really. I mean, even the NRA it claims that the Second Amendment prevents them from putting tracers in uh, explosives. Yeah, I think anybody, any reasonable person would believe that the NRA is an extremist organization. Well, actually, they're not. They're, um, uh, well, yeah, you said reasonable, but there reasonable. are some gun nuts. Important the qualifier. NRA is, is, uh, <laughs> NRA is a bunch of sissies. I mean, they really, they are really nut jobs. They want to, they have these other ones, these other organizations that think the NRA is just a bunch of, uh, Nancy boys, <laughs> if I can use that term. That's all right. As long as you said it and I didn't. <laughs> Earl, uh, I need to take my half-hour break. We'll be right back. Thank you so much okay. for calling. You take care. the 610 West Loop. Watch out for some construction at uh, West T.C. Jester. If you're headed uh, south, actually, anywhere between 290 and 59 on the West Loop, expect uh, delays of 30 miles an hour. Also, there's some construction at I-10 East westbound at I-45 North. It's got the downtown area slowed down. There's also an accident at 610 East Loop southbound at Port of Houston. And that little stretch of the 610 Loop is slow as well. If you're headed southbound on 45 South, expect delays of 30 miles an hour until you get to the Loop. And there is a uh, high, high water incident on Bellway 8 North westbound at I-45 North. Mike, back to you. And we're back. This is New Capital. My name is Mike Honig. I'm sitting in for Leo Gordon, uh, Leo Gold, rather. Uh, the phone number here is 713-526-5738. We're taking phone calls. And Bruce, you're next in line. You're on the air. How are you doing today? Oh, hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, I guess, oh, I'm not sure if it was you or someone else that just a little while ago said something about, uh, a talk being given at Leisure Learning University Monday. Yes, sir. Actually, uh, I said that. I looked. I'm um, looked all over their website. I can't find anything about it. Yeah, the website. I have to say, I checked it out before I went on the air to mention it. Um, I will tell you that it is class seven zero nine nine. Okay. And uh, if necessary, you can call uh, Leisure Learning at seven one three five two nine. 4414 and they'll give you some additional information on what that's about and i personally i've always thought it's a great thing it's it's one of those things that's sort of been just around the corner for 40 years oh you mean the, the solar um, uh, space based on the moon space based solar power whether it's uh, geosynchronous satellites or lunar based or or lagrange point or but just basically this 24 hour a day 7 day a week sunshine that uh, solar power solar collectors could collect and then beam to earth using either microwaves or using lasers or some other medium like that which would then be reconverted into energy at the other end um it's it's a really interesting thing well see i got thinking about it and i think they could make it look a lot more like a uh closer to profitability or like it's losing less money if they combined it with a pilot project to mine helium three, because um, the helium three mining projects going to use all the electricity they could produce locally, so they could sell the electricity right there while they were getting the transmission part of it up and running. Well, of course, one of the things that that has been considered as long as there's been a space program almost is the possibility of setting up uh, solar collectors on the moon in order to supply energy for a base there, and that way not needing to have a nuclear reactor. One of the things that I have thought of in the past few weeks, NASA actually uh, was inviting 
mostly scientists, to uh, propose new Mars missions, new kinds of Mars exploration programs. And the thought occurred to me that you could kind of kill two birds with one stone if you considered putting a pilot solar power satellite in what is technically incorrectly called a geosynchronous orbit in Mars, technically an aerosynchronous orbit, basically so that this satellite would orbit over one point on Mars, collect solar energy, and then you could send landers and rovers down to the Martian surface, and instead of relying strictly on their solar cells, which break and get dusty and, and gradually become impaired, that you could have batteries on them, but mostly what they would have is, I think, what's called a rectenna, that they could then operate in daytime, in darkness, yeah. in winter, were, in summer, and and I'm sorry, don't and then I'll let oh, you because sorry. I really appreciate you changing the subject for me. No, no. Um, and then you'd be able to have these these rovers operating much more of the time, much lighter, and at the same time, essentially have a solar project for this kind of energy collection and retransmission. See, I've thought a lot about that too, and see, we're nowhere near the propulsion systems yet to get uh, a living crew there, have them stay a while, and bring them back. Uh, but I don't know the name of the book. Someone a few years ago did a book on proposing a one-way mission to Mars with older astronauts where they would spend the rest of their lives there. I remember reading that article. I don't think it was terribly long ago. I think it was in the past year. And it was like a radical thought. You mean send them there and leave them there? But Right, right. But I, mean, or, I mean, tell them that if, you know, we might develop a way to get you back in the future, but you're signing up to spend the rest of your life there and we'll make we'll do everything we can to make it as long as possible yeah basically the people like the jamestown colonists it's like right. this is probably a one-way trip right, right because uh uh nasa says that uh exploration has come become risk obsessed yes and and <laughs> unless we <laughs> go back to the old mentality of you know you're sailing off for probably the rest of your life we're never going to get anywhere you know what, Bruce? I so appreciate your calling and changing the subject, especially to something that I feel kind of passionate about. I've got some other folks on the line. I want to give them a turn, but thank you so much for calling. Okay, thanks. You Bye. take care. Okay, I believe D is next. D, you're on the air. Is that is that how you want me to address you? Yes, sir. How, how are you doing? What's your name? My name is Mike Honig. How are you doing? Hey, hey, Mike. I'm doing all right. I just wanted to get everyone, you including all other listeners, to understand that and, and, and keep in mind on every subject, that we're talking about capitalism and profitability, okay? So okay. we're not talking about saving mankind, the, the powers that be, the deep pockets that fund these these pro programs and projects. We're not talking about uh, saving mankind and doing the best we can to save humanity, okay? There are some aspects of society that think that way, but go ahead. I accept that. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that we stay on point with that because when we're talking about going to the moon or, uh, uh, you know, uh, restricting uh, arms from certain facets in society or going save some other uh, side of the world. There is a segment uh, that is strictly profit-driven, and you have to deal with that segment. They're, they're right. an important segment. Thank you, sir. Okay, that's all I want to say. Just okay, well, that's great. I appreciate you bringing right. that up. Have a good day. You great. too. Take care. Okay, next up is Rob. Whoop, did we just lose Robert? <laughs> Okay, Robert, if you're out there, if you call back, I'll take you next. Bill, you're on the air. Thanks for calling New Capital. Uh, what would you like to talk about? Well, we can go ahead with that the, uh, subject the man was talking about, capitaliz uh, okay. capitalization. And, you know, but all the people that have done the stuff, the space stuff, happen to work for NASA, which is a government agency. Correct. You know, all the, all the capitalists, uh, I call it businesses, you know, they just take what is is a gain from the uh, government going up and paying for all this stuff. Yeah, and ultimately, even though it's a government program, there are private businesses profiting from it. That's just always yeah, the way. you know, that's that's how they stay in business. You know, and, you know, it could, like you say, there's different types. The capitalist system we work under is called a, a welfare capitalism. So, you know, let man enjoy that. But, uh, no, uh, the Japanese have been working. I know at least a decade on using the sun to beam down. And it, it got so prohibitive that, you know, I don't know if they're still doing that. They were going to take the sun and convert it and then beam it down. 
I don't know that the Japanese have done that. I know that, especially since Fukushima, they are trying very, very hard to find other sources. And since, you know, oil and gas, they're a resource-poor nation, so they're trying to find renewables. But this has been over a decade ago. I don't think it was the Japanese. I think that... Yeah, it was. Really? It was was the Japanese who who proposed this deal, and NASA took a look at it. But then when they looked, you know, where it was in its infancy... And saw well, you know, this is going to cost you know bundles of money, and, how, and the Japanese were concerned about hitting the spot on the Earth, even if you use a laser. I know that NASA has been looking at this off and on since at least the 1970s. I remember getting a, an Encyclopedia Britannica yearbook, you know, one of these yearbook updates, and they had a big article about you know it's just around the corner, solar power satellites. It's going to you know cheap energy, plentiful, non-polluting, and of course that was over 40 years ago. Yeah, I went to school where NASA was our back door. Yeah, college where NASA was our back door. Mm-hmm. And we had people in there from NASA, you know, uh, furthering their education. But they talked a lot of it about this in class. And then they talked about other stuff, you know, for, that they've gained from uh, exploration. Yeah, I would like to see them be able to do stuff like that. Well, I think that this kind of ties a little bit into um, the lecture that's going to be going on Monday at Leisure Learning. Um I don't necessarily think that collecting solar energy on the moon and then beaming it to Earth is the preferred method of accomplishing this. I think that, you know, there is room for reasonable people to disagree even about the the overall goal. I think that uh, a moon base is the way to go in terms of learning how to survive on a non-Earth body. I think it's the way to go in terms of learning how microgravity and minimal gravity affect bodies. I think it's a good place to develop raw materials and uh, manufacturing infrastructure with a much weaker gravity well that would enable you to reach the Earth from the moon much easier than it is to reach geosynchronous orbit from the Earth itself. I think there are a lot of ways to look at this and angles to take and uh, demonstration missions to explore. But one of the things you have to get past is that to launch from Earth costs $10,000 a pound. Yeah. It would cost $2 million to get me into low Earth orbit. Yeah, unless you unless you launch from the equator. Um, I don't know that that affects the price so much, although you're right. Launching to the east from the equator is the most energy efficient way to launch because you get, I think it's like, what, 7,000 miles per hour of earth rotation to assist something like that yeah that's why the uh european space agency uh has a launch site on the equator you know doyle my engineer just popped up a message that uh there is a is or was a 21 billion dollar project by the japanese intending to build a giant solar power generator in space within three decades i guess then this is contemporary and beam electricity to the earth so this must be pretty new because i have not run across that before yeah, that, that's what I was talking about. And one of the deals, reading in the article from Scientific American, they were talking about the Japanese were having a problem, you know, trying to figure out how to hit certain targets they want to hit on the Earth coming down. Yeah, there would there would be a lot of what you might call overscan. Uh, yeah. In order to hit your rectenna, it's hard to focus a beam, which is one of the reasons I think that lasers is something they've started to look at. Um you know, I, I have to tell you, I enjoy this topic so much more than the Second Amendment. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, I appreciate... What you have to look at is the ATF. The ATF can control the weapon. Oh, the man, weapon you're bringing system. me back to the Second Amendment after I thank you for no, bringing me off no, the Second Amendment? You, back. You, <laughs> you said you didn't like it. I, you know, but everybody's talking about, you know, control of this. The ATF is the agency that controls the weapon. Yeah. I mean, they can. They, you can have a class three license, and they can come get your weapon. Yeah, but they're authorized by Congress, and Congress makes the laws, and then you've got the various state agencies. Yeah, and whatnot. that's what. That's what sucks. You know what? I I appreciate your calling. Uh, I am going to go to our next caller, but thank you so much. You've said some interesting stuff and taught me a couple of things. Have a great day. You too. Take care, Bill. Bye bye. All right. The phone number here is seven one three five two six five seven three eight. Uh, the next person I'm going to speak to is Kevin, and just so you know, I may have to interrupt you for a break, but we'll come back. So, uh, Kevin, how are you doing today? You're on the air. I'm doing great. I believe I talked to you this morning. Were you on uh, community conversation this morning? I was on community conversation this morning. Yes, sir. You're right. Oh, you're right, man. I like you. Well, thank uh, you so much. 
Uh, Take, tell management. Say, <laughs> you're going to be mad that I'm going to bring it back to the Second Amendment conversation. Uh, I just have, I noticed, I was talking to someone on Facebook this morning, and he brought up the fact that no one's really calling the shooter in Colorado uh, a terrorist. And I would, it's just the definition of the word. There was a terrorist action, uh, just random violence like that for no apparent reason. I didn't see a manifesto or anything like that, but uh, that was there was terrorism. I think uh, people get turned away from from cases such as the Trayvon Martin or or uh, Kenneth or or Kenneth Chamberlain Senior uh, shooting, and we also have shootings uh, here in Houston by by police to unarmed people. Like they had a, they had a candlelight vigil uh, last Saturday. They were talking about on a uh, on the community conversation for a Hispanic man that was shot on the airline drive by the police. Let me ask and, you a question. Uh, I'm sorry, Kevin. I, I want to take a, a quick break. Can you hold on and we'll come back? Yes, sir. I appreciate that very much. Okay, Doyle, you want to give him the weather and traffic? Sure. Sixton uh, West Loop is backed up from 290 to 59. It looks like it's at 30 miles an hour going both directions, so watch out for that. There's some construction at 610 North Loop westbound at West TC Jester. Also, there's some construction at I-10 East westbound at North 45 North, and that has the downtown area slow. If you're headed inbound on 59 South, expect delays of 20 miles an hour inside the loop. And if you're on the loop headed um, east on the 610 South Loop, there is some, uh, there's an accident at Almeda Road, and uh, it looks like it's at about 30 miles an hour just west of 288, so watch out for that area as well. If you're headed north on 45 North, it is at about 30 miles an hour all the way up to um, Shepherd. so watch out for that as well. Back to you, Mike. Okay, Kevin, we're back on. You're listening to KPFT in Houston, 90.1 FM. I'm Mike Koenig. This is New Capital, and I'm in for Leo Gold. I'm sorry, Kevin, did I did I interrupt your point? or? Uh... Uh, yes, sir, just a little bit. Okay, go uh, ahead. What I was going to say was the thing that's keeping people from calling him a terrorist are the circumstances surrounding him being killed. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people with, with uh, lessened uh, civil rights uh, in America by classism and you know, racism and, uh, you know, industrialized racism and whatnot. And whenever they're, whenever they're killed by whoever, it's not considered act of terrorism, but whenever it's, whenever they're brown or they're of a certain religion or if they're from a certain origin, uh, it, it gets classified really quickly. This right here, I just wanted to just call, call that out, let it echo, let it go out over the radio waves. Let everybody know I consider them a terrorist and I think everyone else should too. And if they don't, they need to recalibrate their definition. Can you hang on a minute while I respond to that? Yes, sir. Um, I hear what you're saying, and I think sometimes you're right. Uh, you know, the fact is I'm of Eastern European heritage. I have dark brown hair. I have a beard. Um, sometimes people look at me and they think I might be Middle Eastern. I might be Hispanic. They're not entirely sure. As it happens, I'm sort of Russian, Austrian, Hungarian, Ukrainian. But, you know, I mean, people don't know from looks. But I will tell you what I think the difference is between a terrorist act and this may this is a semantic thing but i think the difference between a terrorist act and what this person did which you might call either a mass killing or a seri- probably a mass killing rather than a serial killing i think a terrorist act is done with some kind of a political or social objective it is either to disrupt the establishment or to uh impede commerce or to impede the ability to secure locations by legitimate law, however you want to define that. And I think that the reason you cannot define this as a terrorist act isn't because this guy was white, but because this guy did not have a political agenda. He was he just went nuts. Does that make any sense to you? It does. I, I think he went nuts for a very long time. And I think most most quote unquote terrorists are nuts and have loosely based political games in, in mind. And usually they're not real. But in you terms of what you were, I'm sorry. But in terms of what you were saying about terrorists are always brown and mass murderers are always white. No, I, no, no, not always. Okay. Uh, you know, of course we're generalizing. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry if I misspoke. I didn't mean to misrepresent what you said. But I, I mean, I kind of get the drift of what you're saying. And you know, ultimately, people that are dead are dead. 
And it's just as sad and just as horrible, regardless of whether there's a political agenda or not. And I think the question is, yeah, we should be talking about this now. What can we do about it in the future? I appreciate your calling, Kevin. I've enjoyed talking to you. You take care. Okay, I've got George on the line. Uh, You're on the air, George. Uh, I'm Mike Honig on KPFT New Capital. What's on your mind? Good afternoon. Hi. Um, I think you're right. I think we do need to start talking about this again. Uh, It's, you know, politically they don't want to touch it on either side. Right. You know, the Second Amendment. But, you know, look, I keep a loaded gun in my house. And uh, I don't have any children or anything. I live alone. Uh, But, uh, you know, and and I believe people have the right to do that. But I don't believe that uh, having AR-15s and, you know, which you can go to these gun shows, yeah, they're not fully, you got, they shoot one bullet at a time, but you can go to these gun shows, you can make the stuff fully automatic. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and, I'm told that uh, if you know anything about guns, it's not that hard to do. It's just you know, illegal to do it. it. And, you know, and there's no background check on this stuff, you know. So, I mean, they need to look at, to me, really, I don't think, you know, I have a deer rifle. I haven't hunted in years, it's, it's, it's a money thing. But I have one, and, you know, I think people should have the right to do those types of activities, but I don't see what the need for for uh, an AK or, or Uzi or anything like that. I don't see the need for it. And, I don't, and when somebody needs something, makes an order of, like, 6,000 rounds, I think they need to kind of look at that a little, maybe scrutinize that a little more. I understand people like to stockpile or they want to buy. My God, you know, 6,000 rounds. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, some some people are professional target shooters, and they use a lot of ammunition. It's it's. Uh, I think a lot of us would be surprised, including myself, at how much they use. But but assault rifles and things of that nature. I think we need to look at that, and uh, uh, we need to look at maybe doing a little more uh, scrutinizing on some of this stuff. And and, and I think sure. what you know what you're saying, what Kevin is saying, what I've been talking about. I think that this is that that area where reasonable people can disagree and yet agree that there's something that needs to be talked about. And I think it's the extremists on both ends that are creating the problem, and by definition, extremists are the most vocal. So what what I like to see is, you know, let's talk about these things we disagree with and, and try to find a way that we can all get something that we can be okay with that we feel we've made some progress we need to start that dialogue and i appreciate you bringing up the topic well i appreciate your calling in and talking about it george you take care bye-bye and we're on kpft 90.1 it's uh phone number here 713-526-5738 matthew you're on the air thanks for calling yes i just wanted to call and say that i i feel that more people should have had guns that if more people had guns in that theater than just that boy and uh, they could have stood up for themselves, taken a couple of shots at his head, and maybe he would have run off. By just having one person have a gun, it just makes things <laughs> it makes things difficult. There was a massacre. No one could fight back. And that's now, my comment. Do uh, you want to hang on a moment and we'll talk for a few seconds? Okay. Okay. Uh, I've heard that argument made. And I think that a counter-argument that has also been made is the guy threw out a smoke grenade. You couldn't see anything. He didn't need a target. He was just shooting people. On the other hand, if you had folks in the audience who had their own weapons, concealed or otherwise, and if they tried to shoot, the question is, this guy got off like 70 rounds in 70 or 90 seconds. In addition to that, if you have people shooting in every which direction, you don't think that it's possible that they would have missed him and hit other people? And then the carnage would have been even worse? I mean, you do... I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you think the problem was that he had a smoke grenade? I think the problem was that he had a weapon with 6,000 rounds of ammunition and a 100-round magazine and two Glocks with large-capacity clips. I think that's the problem, ultimately. You still with me? Um, Yes, sir. I'm willing to listen to a response if you have one. My response would be, like I said, um, I wish, like in movie theaters, I I think it's different in Colorado than it is here in, in Texas, but... Um, you can't bring a you can't bring a gun to a bar. You can't bring a gun to a school. You can't bring. I don't think you can in Colorado. You can bring a gun to a movie theater, so people can't defend themselves, and that makes them easy targets. But doesn't we live, it's... In a, we live in a society where people will have guns, and even if you tried to take all the guns away in the world, you wouldn't be able to. There's so many guns in America; it just isn't going to happen. But don't you think it's ironic that 
the conversation that's now being had in some quarters is not talking about limiting guns, but banning costumes? Isn't that odd? Well, I think Chris Rock said it best when he said that, I don't want to ban guns, I just want every bullet to cost a thousand dollars. And, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty good. And I think that that comes back to, okay, the Constitution guarantees the right to bear arms. It doesn't say you're entitled to unlimited ammunition of any kind. So maybe people should be allowed to have guns, but maybe ammunition should be registered and, and regulated. Well, maybe we shouldn't have any regulation, and, and people should be able to have guns and fight back and protect themselves, because there are crazy people taking bath salts and, and becoming zombies and attacking other people. And you should, we live in a crazy, chaotic world. You need to be able to protect yourself. America is pretty nuts. America it's, is pretty nuts. It's nuts. But let's it's also a crazy world. But let's also think about this. If you look back in history... In uh, during the 19th century, especially what we call the Wild West period, which is basically between the end of the Civil War and about 1900, people were carrying sidearms. It's like just all the time people were carrying sidearms. And the, the southwestern states, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Kansas, eventually they decided, you know what, that's not such a great idea. So they banned them. It's not that these guns were always banned in Texas. It's not like you never had the right to carry a concealed weapon. It's not like you never had the right to have an open carry. People in Texas decided that that was a bad idea. So the question is, what has changed in the last hundred years that suddenly makes open carry and concealed carry by a huge number of people suddenly a good idea? Again, have people gotten so much better, so much smarter, so much more self-controlled? Well, I think when you have a gun... And it's on your hip. And, and I grew up in Texas, and I can remember a few of my relatives when I was very young, very young, like three years old. This was like the early 80s. Uh, they would carry sidearms on them. And I, I'll tell you what, man, um, people were more polite. You, society <laughs> becomes more polite when guns are out there in the open. You don't you, use your driving finger quite so much. Right, right. <laughs> So it's been nice talking to you. I have to go vote. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm I'm going there after I leave here, and thank you for reminding me. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. I'm Actually, I'm going to pick up on what Matthew said. Today and tomorrow are the last days of early voting. Early voting is open until 7 p.m. Different districts have different runoffs. Um, Early voting is the most convenient thing you can do because you can go to any place that allows you to vote. You don't have to go to a specific polling place. Generally, the weights are minimal. The turnout is light. Don't let one other person make the choice for 17 or 20 other people, including you. Go out and vote. Regardless of your party, go out and vote. Control the vote. Okay, um, I am going to give Chris a chance to say hi. Chris, you on with me very quickly? Uh, hello. Hi. <laughs> um, basically, I just wanted to say that it's very reactionist to to bring up um, a, a simple nuance, or arbitration of how much ammunition or whether or not someone is able to carry a concealed weapon um, into anywhere. I think it's more so the mentality of it. Uh, if they say that he acted alone, uh, then they need to be checking into more of those reasons because obviously, you know, guns and ammo isn't the problem. It's the person that's holding it. Uh, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Okay. Uh, on that note, I thank you very much for calling, Chris. You've been listening to New Capital. I'm Mike Koenig sitting in for Leo Gold. You can see my website at thinkwingradio.com. Have a great day. Remember to vote. Thanks to the ceaseless work of KPFT's engineers, we've been able to restore a much stronger signal for our regular broadcast channel at 90.1 FM and for our HD channels as well. However, we still need to lightning-proof our transmission chain by replacing our antenna, transmitter, and other equipment. Our Lightning Capital campaign is ongoing, and the $45,000 plus that so many have donated has given KPFT a decided head start towards the first phase of lightning proofing, which will include replacing our current antenna. Please consider making a special donation to the KPFT Lightning campaign to help us get over this challenge to our budget and keep free speech radio alive in Houston. Visit kpft.org to make a donation today. Again, that's kpft.org to lightning proof your community radio station. This is 90.1 Pacifica Radio, kpft.org, twitter.com slash kpft, facebook.com slash kpft Houston.
KPFT has a fun drive coming up, and we need your help to make it a success. Our phone volunteer trainings are coming up, and we could really use your help. You'll meet KTFT listeners just like you and help this community radio station. Your efforts make a difference and can make this a fun, fast, and successful drive. We hold phone volunteer training regularly to accommodate all kinds of schedules. Visit kpft.org for a complete list of training dates. If you are a seasoned phone volunteer, call 713-526-4000 to sign up for a volunteer shift. You are tuned into Pacifica Radio, kpft.org, twitter.com backslash kpft, facebook.com backslash kpft Houston.